Hey everyone, welcome to Tom French Preaching. This is the podcast of me, Tom French, preaching, just like the title says. I'm a guy who lives in Melbourne and does Bible talks for youth and other people around Australia and all over the internet. I'm also the author of Weird, Crude, Funny and Nude, The Bible Exposed, the very best book that I have ever written. For more information about my book or to see what else I've been up to, go to my website, tomfrench.com.au. And with that, let's get on with the talk. So I wonder if you guys have any like character traits that you just can't help expressing. Like even if you're like, oh, I don't want to do it, but you do it anyway. Like I have some of those things. Like one is that um, I always have to have like cupboards closed. They can't be a little bit open. So like when I'm sitting in, in the lounge room, I can see the kitchen. And so if the kitchen cupboard is a little bit open, I can't just relax on the couch. Like it's totally unrelaxing. I have to get up, go and close the cupboard, then go and sit back down. And then, and then if the, uh, the microwave door is open, I can't see the microwave from the, my spot on the couch. And so I don't know if it op- it's open, but sometimes my wife will be like, hey, Tom, the microwave is open. <laughs> And I'm like, what? And then I'm like, I have to get up and go and close it. Even though I can't see it, I know it's open. And so I'm really uncomfortable. So I have to close it. So there's one of them. Another one is that when I have blankets or sheets on a bed, or if I'm sitting on the couch and I've got like a doona on top of me or something, they always have to be the correct way up. So like if the doona opening is up near my neck, I'm like, oh, I can't do this. And so I have to spin it around because I'm afraid the doona will eat me, or like the, the tag on like a blanket or a sheet has to be at, the, at my feet end and not at the top. Otherwise, like if I'm lying in bed, I'm like, I'm like the, the tag's at the top. I'm not going to sleep properly. And I, I know that I won't sleep properly because I know that it's like that. There's another character trait of mine that I just have to express. Another one, and this will be the last one, is, uh, is that when I meet a friendly dog, I just have to say hello and pet it. I'm like, hello. And sometimes I don't want to because I'm like, you smell. You totally stink, but you're so friendly. How's it going? And my day job, I read gas meters because I'm a very, very famous author. So I, I go to people's front yards and I look at the gas meter. So you know that guy in high vis, like the weirdo that walks into your front yard? That's me. I do that. And so I go, go into the front yard and I look at the number. And my, I'm told by my bosses, like, if you meet a dog... Well, one, if it's like a bad dog, you don't go near it. And it will tell me on my little machine. But if you meet a friendly dog, it's like it could be just pretending to be friendly. It might bite your hand off. So never touch a dog. And so like a dog will come like, how's it going? And I'll be like, oh, I can't touch you, but you're so friendly. How's it going? And then I I break the rules because the dog's just being nice and I need to be polite to the dog. So there's another character trait of mine that I can't help expressing. Well, what we're going to see in this story here is we're going to see some of God's character expressed and the thing that God is continually doing and that he continues to express. And it's not that God has a problem with open doors or blankets or patting dogs, although he might pat dogs. I don't know. Probably Jesus was friendly to dogs that visited him. I don't know. But what we're going to see in this story is that God has a character trait where he loves to save. That he's always working to save. And we're going to see this expressed in this story, which is one of the weirder stories of the Bible. So let's, uh, let's get started. So you will notice that we are in the book of Judges. And this is in Judges chapter 3. And uh, the book of Judges, the way it works is the story goes that God's people, 
the Israelites. They've escaped from Egypt, if you remember that story, where there's the plagues, and then they've been led by Moses through the Red Sea and it parted, and then they've wandered in the desert for, uh, for 40 years, and then eventually they've made it to the promised land, the land that God has said they are going to be allowed to live in forever. And so they're establishing themselves in the land, and they should just be there and worshipping God, their God Yahweh, worshipping Him properly, uh, but they're there living in the land and then they're looking about it at the other people like, oh, you know, we do like you, Yahweh, but those people next door, they've got a pretty good God too. They've got the God of thunder. Thunder's pretty cool. Or like, They've got the God of, of the harvest and that's pretty good. And so they look at the other gods like, maybe we want to worship those gods as well. And so in Judges, it says they'll go start worshiping those gods and then God will be like, man, that's not very good. And so then he'll send in another, another people group to rule over them and so they will be like, oh, no, we need, really need to turn back to our God. And so then they cry out to God to save them and God will send someone to save them. And then they'll be like, thank you, God. And they'll worship God for a while. And then they'll, then they'll turn to another God and be like, oh, that God looks pretty good. And then they'll start worshiping them. And then someone will come in and rule over them. Then they'll cry out to God. Then someone will be raised up and save them. And then it happens and they just get worse and worse and worse. And that's what we see all throughout the book of Judges. So that's where we're up to in the story. And we're right near the beginning of that cycle. And so we're going to see this. Uh, in this guy called Ehud. And so from verse 12, this is where it starts. It says, Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And because they did this evil, the Lord gave Eglon, king of Moab, power over Israel. Getting the Ammonites and the Amalekites to join him, Eglon came and attacked Israel and took possession of the city of Palms. The Israelites were subject to Eglon, king of Moab, for 18 years. Again, the Israelites cried out to the Lord, and he gave them a deliverer. So here we have the Israelites, and they are upset that they've got these people ruling over them. Now, it doesn't say that they realize what they've done wrong. They're like, God, we're sorry, we've worshipped the wrong God, and all this kind of stuff. All it says is that, they're, that they cry out to God, that they're subject to him, and so they cry out to him for a deliverer. They don't really, they, it doesn't say that they've figured out their problem. They just say that they know that they're in trouble. So they cry out to God, and he gives them a deliverer. And this is what it says. It says, Ehud, a left-handed man, the son of Jerah, the Benjaminite. The Israelites sent him with the tribute to Eglon, king of Moab. So we have Ehud, who is a left-handed man, which is an important piece of information. Who here is left-handed? Yeah. yeah. Who here is right-handed? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, right-handed people, put your hands down. Left-handed people, put your hands up again. Okay, right-handed people, watch out for the left-handed people because... What the Bible is telling us when it says that he is left-handed is not just about which is his dominant hand, but about the fact that he is a tricky person. It's because left-handed people are tricky people. That's what it's saying. And the reason why is that if you ever get into a fight with a left-handed person, you'll be expecting them to come at you from the right. they will be like, yeah, it comes the right hook, and then they'll hit you with a left hook. It's like, what did you do, you tricky left-handed person? And then you'll be upset with them because left-handed people are tricky people. And this is going to be important later on in the story. But actually, when you read this passage, what it says here is it says that he's left-handed, but in the original Hebrew, and you guys can all become Bible scholars now, it doesn't say that he's left-handed. It says that he is restricted in his right which might mean that, that he actually just couldn't use his right hand. Maybe like he was born without a right hand, or maybe it got crushed under a millstone, or it got bitten off by a shark. We don't know exactly what happened to his hand, but it could be that he just had some kind of disability, so he had to use his left hand. And so here's a left-handed 
tricky man. And this is useful for him. So it tells us that he came, he was going to pay tribute to Egon, king of Moab. So when you're paying tribute, it's like, who, who has seen the Hunger Games? Right, so in the Hunger Games, you've got uh, all the, the people in the country, and you've got the capital who rules over the different districts, and all the districts have to pay tribute to the capital to show that their submission to the capital and so they, you know, they get their children and the children go off and fight to the death. And then Katniss Everdeen steps forward and is like, I volunteer as tribute. And, you know, it's all very moving and, you know, exciting. And that's, this, that's what happens uh, when, you have, when you have one country that's ruling over another country, particularly in these days, they would pay tribute to show that they are a subjugated people and to, to make it worth the while of the people who are ruling over them. Because if you're ruling over these people, you want to get something out of it. And so... Uh, Ehud has come along with the Israelites and they've given their tribute to Eglon, king of Moab. So then we get to keep going. We are at uh, verse 16. Now Ehud had made a double-edged sword about a cubit long, which he strapped to his right thigh under his clothing. So here we have another cool thing about Ehud is that he makes his own weapons. And so here's a guy who is not just, you know, able to, you know, you know, do things in a tricky manner, but he's also able to make his own weapons, which is interesting because, well, one, it shows us that he's a bit of an action hero. So does anyone know anyone who also doesn't have a right hand? Uh, anyone from the Star Wars universe, perhaps? Luke Skywalker. He, and, shh, and Luke, <laughs> well, yeah, he didn't turn out so well. So let's just go with Luke Skywalker. Luke Skywalker, he, he lost his hand. And you know what else that Jedis have to do? They have to make their own lightsabers. So I'm pretty sure what we're seeing here is that Ehud is a Jedi Knight and that he has traveled into the future from a galaxy far, far away to set God's people free. I don't know, but I reckon that's what the Bible is telling us. So let's keep going. So he strapped it to his right thigh under his clothing Right thigh, because if you're searching a right-handed person, they're going to have it on their left side. They're so like, oh, no, no weapon there. So he's got it tricky hidden on his right thigh. Let's keep going. All right. He presented the tribute to Eglon, king of Moab, who was a very fat man. <laughs> now, that's important too, that he's fat. Let's just say, now, we're going to talk about his fatness. And what the Bible is not doing here is it's not doing fat shaming, okay? So before you freak out about the un-PCness of the Bible and... <laughs> There are times when the Bible is not PC at all. But what it's doing here is saying that this Eglon guy is he is living off the spoils of his dictatorship. Like the, the way that you got fat in, in the Bible times was because you were a greedy person and, and you would just take more than was yours. Like these days we can get fat very easily. Like I just drove from Melbourne to Sydney and well, Shell Harbour, which is closer than Melbourne. Uh, the, and the whole way there, I could have just, you know, lived on junk food the whole way. There's like a Macca's, like every hour I could just eat Mac. Like it's so easy to eat a lot of food. But in these days, you have to work very hard to get your food. And so if you're a fat person, <clears throat> then it means that what you've done is that you've gotten everyone else to give you their food and you're eating all their food. So it's showing us that Eglon is a guy who is stealing off God's people and taking it all for himself. All right. Let's keep going. Now, where was he? The fat man. Uh, after Ehud, this is verse 18, had presented the tribute, he sent uh, on their way those who had carried it. 
But on reaching the stone images near Gilgal, he himself went back to Eglon and said, Your Majesty, I have a secret message for you. So here's the king and he hears this and he says to his attendants, Leave us. And they all left. Now, this is interesting because uh, in the Bible, in the original Hebrew, because we're all becoming Hebrew scholars, it doesn't actually say message. It says, I have a secret thing for you. And so he doesn't say message. It's like, I've got a secret. And the king who loves secrets, is like, oh, yes, a secret. And maybe, he, maybe it's a message. Maybe he thinks it's a secret donut or a secret bacon. or secret. We don't know what it is, but the king is excited. And so, and so he does something which is a bad thing to do. He sends all his attendants out. And if you learn nothing else from the Bible this weekend, learn this. If you ever become a ruler of a smaller, weaker nation, like, say, Tasmania, Make sure that, <clears throat> that you never leave yourself alone with a left-handed Tasmanian because they will use that opportunity to attack you. Like it is dumb. Like if you are there with people who you're ruling over, why would you send out all your attendants and all your bodyguards? But the king, the king does, is not a smart guy. So he's like, everyone get out. Oh, I love my secret. And so then... Let's keep going. And it says this, Ehud then approached him while he was sitting alone in the upper room of his palace. And he said, I have a message from God for you. He spoke in an American accent, I'm sure. As the king rose from his seat, Ehud reached with his left hand, drew the sword from his right thigh and plunged it into the king's belly. Even the handle sank in after the blade and his bowels discharged. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? And the king's like, give me my message. And he gets up and he's like, here's your message. And then, and then we have this, this king pooping himself. Like you don't expect that to happen in the Bible. Like you expect nice things like, as the deer pants for the water, so my soul longs after you. Not fat kings pooping themselves, but there it is, which shows that this is the greatest book in the world. Because it even is written to appeal to people like me, who have the sense of humor of a 10-year-old boy. Like, it's great. There's people poop. Anyway, it doesn't matter. So, this, so the king poops himself, and then Ehud, uh, he escapes. He says, Ehud did not pull the sword out. Like, why would you? And the fat closing over. You're like, oh, poopy sword. Don't touch that. And then Ehud went out to the porch. He shut the doors of the upper room behind him and locked them. After he had gone, the servants came and found the doors of the upper room locked. They said, he must be relieving himself in the inner room of the palace. They waited to the point of embarrassment. But when he did not open the doors of the room, they took a key and unlocked them. And there they saw their Lord fallen on the floor dead. While they waited, Ehud got away. He passed by the stone images and escaped to Sariah. When he arrived he there, he blew a trumpet in the hill country of Ephraim. And the Israelites went down with him from the hills, with him leading them. Follow me, he ordered, for the Lord has given Moab, your enemy, into your hands. So they followed him down and took possession of the fords of Jordan that led to Moab, and they allowed no one to cross over. At that time, they struck down about 10,000 Israelites, all vigorous and strong. Not one escaped. That day, Moab was made subject to Israel, and the land had peace for 80 years. So here we have Eglon has died. He's lying on the ground in his, in his own poop, and Ehud escapes. Uh, he, he locks the door and escapes out. And then you've got the, the attendants who are standing outside and they're like, 
what is that? Oh my goodness, that is disgusting. And they, and they, are, they don't go in because they can smell the king's poop. And that allows Eglon, Ehud to escape. Like he's using the old poop diversion. Like this is, this is like the oldest trick in the book. The, the SAS and the Green Berets, they use it all the time. And so they, they, he escapes and God saves his people partly because of poop. And so they're standing out in the, the front and they're not going in. Ehud escapes and eventually they go in and they're like, oh my goodness, who died in here? And they're like, oh yeah, someone did. That's, uh, sorry about that. And, uh, and then Ehud <clears throat> blows his trumpet and then calls everyone together and then everyone is saved. And that's the story of Ehud. Now, <clears throat> sorry, uh, what, do we, what do we learn from this story? Well, like I said, it shows us the character of God, that God is a God who loves to save. And we see him saving here in one of the most, in the most unlikely of ways. Like this is a strange thing to happen, but God uses Ehud, this strange person, to save in a strange way. And it shows us that God is always working to save. In here with Ehud, we have a picture of what God does for us in Jesus. Uh, like we are people who are people who are like the Israelites. The Israelites have, because they've done the wrong thing, they've become subject to a foreign nation. The Bible tells us because we have done the wrong thing, we become subject to, to sin and to death. And then it tells us that Ehud comes along and he sets the people free by stabbing the king. But the Bible tells us that we are set free not by any kings, by, by you know, God stabbing a king, but by God the king coming to us as a man. And he himself gets killed and he himself gets stabbed so that we might be set free from our sins and we might be forgiven. And then it tells us that Ehud goes and he calls the people to follow him. And then it tells us in the Bible that, that Jesus calls us to follow him. And so here we have in this picture, this story, a picture of Jesus. And as you read the Bible, you'll see like again and again and again that keeps coming up. There's this same story that keeps coming up that's always pointing us to the big story of God who saves in his son Jesus. There's always this echo that keeps happening throughout the Bible. The other thing that we can learn from this passage is that God can save with unlikely people. He can use unlikely people for unlikely things. Like you would not expect Ehud to be the guy to set God's people free. Like if you have a, a, a disabled man, you are not going to look at him and go, oh, he's going to be the military leader. But here he comes in and he sets the people free. And you might look at yourself and be like, I'm not the kind of person that God can use. You might say, I'm too sinful, or I know that I've got mental health issues, or, or I know that I've got a physical disability, or I, I know that you know, my family is a, is a problem, or I know, like, whatever it is that you think stops you, the Bible is showing us here that that, that is not something that can hold you back. Because it's not about you and, and your power that saves, but it's God working through you to get stuff done. That he worked through Jesus, who was a homeless traveling preacher, who didn't fight anyone, but through that, he set everyone free. And the same power that was at work in Jesus, it tells us, is at work in us. That God lives in us by his Holy Spirit and allows us to live for him. So whatever it is that you feel like that, you, that God wants you to do, if you're afraid, you're like, man, I don't want to talk to that person because I, I don't think I could do that. Or I don't want to to you know, lead that Bible study because I, I don't think I can do it. Or, or I, don't, I don't know if I can, can um, confront this person who, who is causing issues. Well, whatever it is that you feel like God is calling you to do, you can do it. Because God is a God who works through even the most weird people. And even me, 
which is great. And the, the last thing is that I want to show you from this passage is that God is saving even when we think that is not working. And that you don't have to get yourself right with God before God is going to, because before God will save you. So in this passage, with the people of Israel, they cry out to God and they don't realize, they're not like, oh yeah, you know, I've done, we've done the wrong thing. We're sorry, God, please come and save us. They just be like, man, this sucks. And they cry out to God and then he works to save them. And sometimes we feel like, man, before I can approach God, I've got to get my life right. When I was in school, uh, I realized at one point, and this is not a tip for your schooling, uh, but I realized at one point that I could not do my homework for like about half my classes and my teachers wouldn't do anything about it. Like for a while, they'd be like, are you going to hand that in? I'd be like, yeah, maybe. And then, uh, and then eventually they'd stop asking me and I'd be like, yes, I got away with not doing that. But then if I ever needed something from them, then I'd have to get everything in order before I went to them because then I'd be like, oh, I'm wondering if I can like, uh, you know, miss out on your class so I can, you know, go to this thing for the video club because I loved my video club. And they'd be like, well, you have to do your essay and make sure you get your homework done. And so I'd have to get everything in order before I came to them and be like, look, I've done all my homework, I've done all my essays, and then now you will, you know, you will do the good thing for me. And I think we sometimes treat God like that. Like before we can come to him and say, you know, God, help me. We have, to say, we have to say, God, look, I've got everything right. I've stopped sinning. I've started reading my Bible. I don't swear anymore. I'm hanging out with the right people. Now, God, you can work in my life. But we can't think of God like a teacher who we've got to get everything right for, but we think of God more like a, a lifesaver. Like when you are uh, in trouble with a lifesaver, you don't, you're not out in the ocean, like caught in a rip, and you're like, man, I need saving right now, but I don't want to call out to the lifesaver because they'll be like, why didn't you get into the right spot in the world? Like, why did you not have better ocean sense? And, and you're not there going like, man, I should learn to swim before I get the lifesaver. So that he's very impressed with me. Like, you don't do any of that. You're like, I'm in trouble. Come and help me. And so we, we call out to God like when we're in trouble and then God rescues us. And after that, then he starts to change us. So don't feel like you need to get your, your life right with God before you call out to him. But know that God is willing to work to save you. He's already worked to save you before you even existed. The Bible tells us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So you don't have to get your life right for God before He will work in your life. You just call out to Him and He will save you and start working in your life. So there are some great things that we see from this story of Ehud. Uh, if you're someone who isn't a Christian, then the challenge for you here is to say, to know that you don't need to get your life right with Him, but God wants to save you if you will only put your trust in Him. And if you are a Christian, then you also need to know you don't have to get your life right with God before He can use you. You don't have to be perfect or overcome all your difficulties before God can work in you. He can work in you right now. And He will be changing you as you go. Because God is a God who is work even in the background when you don't know it. And he'll work in you because he works in the most strange ways through even left-handed people. Amen. <laughs> uh, I'm going to say a quick prayer for us. Uh, Father God, we thank you uh, for this story. And uh, we know that you're a God who saves. And we thank you that you saved even through Ehud and that you saved through Jesus, our perfect king. And I pray that we'll remember that you have saved us that we'll be willing to put our trust in you, that we'll know that we don't have to get our life right with you before you work, but you've already worked on our behalf and that you can work through us even if we are people with uh, defects, whether it's in our hearts or in our minds or in our bodies, that you work with us. And even in our weakness, you are strong because you work 
uh, it's you, it's about you and not about us. So we pray that we will be trusting you. Amen. Well, that was the talk. And I hope it was helpful for you. If you want more talks or to read my blog or order my book or even to book me to speak, remember to go to tomfrench.com.au. It's my home on the internet. You can also find me on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash TWFrench or on Insta at TWFrench. And don't forget to give this podcast a rating and review wherever you get your podcast so that other people might be able to discover it too. Till next time, have a good one.